Hi, everyone. This is Mitch Ashley with DevOps.com, and you're listening to another DevOps Chat Podcast. I'm joined by Akshay Anad, who's Product Ambassador with Exalos, and David Crouch, who's a Senior Advisor at Beyond 20. Welcome. Good to have, have you on. Good to be talking with you. Thanks for having us. Great, great. great. Um, would you both start out, let's do a little bit of introduction, just to introduce yourself, a little bit of what you do, and a little bit about the company that you're with, if you want to start, Akshay. Sure. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having us, as I said. Uh, my name is Akshay Anand. I am the Product Ambassador for ITIL, working for Axelos Global Best Practice. Uh, Axelos was a company that was formed about five years ago as a partnership between Her Majesty's Government and a large public sector, a public, um, uh, a large private sector uh, 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 company called Capita. Uh, we like to think of ourselves as the uh, custodians of the uh, of best practice uh, bodies of knowledge, uh, not just ITIL. Uh, we also manage Prince2, which is around project management, uh, MSP, which is all managing successful programs, which is around uh, program management, and a few others besides. Um, before joining Axelos, I was a consultant for most of my career in the IT service management space across both the US and the UK. Um, I spent a couple of years as the head of service management for McLuhan Publishing as well. And that's me. Great, David. Hi, my name is David Crouch, uh, affectionately called Lord Baltimore at the office because that's where I where I live and where I'm coming to you from <laughs> right now. <laughs> Doesn't come with okay. a crown. Um, I spent about 20 years at Johns Hopkins University and Hospital before coming to Beyond 20, finished, uh, finished my time there working in the IT Solution Center, which was our service management center for excellence. Uh, at Beyond 20, we are a company that focuses on digital transformation. At the core of it, we really try to improve the way people and organizations work uh, by looking at their digital transformations and looking at how to improve their IT service management processes. We do consulting work, we do uh, training and uh, focusing on ITIL, but also project management and Agile and DevOps and these other areas as well. And we also have um, a team of folks who implement IT service management tools. Excellent. Good. Perfect timing for our topic today. So let's kind of jump into that. We're talking about Agile and DevOps and ways that that's introduced into companies, best practices, learnings from adopting or not <laughs> those different practices. Maybe we can start, about, start with how we introduce or you've seen companies introduced either Agile or DevOps or both into organizations. And you're kind of thinking probably a little bit larger organizations where there's more change management involved. I imagine that's a lot of work you get into, David. Is that correct? It is. You know, we see a lot of organizations who who know a little bit about DevOps and a little bit about Agile, um, but don't re haven't really adopted an Agile mindset and don't really have, you know, the full uh, understanding of what organizational structure can really support DevOps. Um, and yet they need these things to really support a digital transformation. So um, typically we'll start with uh, doing some sort of assessment to see where they are now, to see what, uh, what pain points they have right now, and then try to figure out, okay, does it make sense to introduce Agile? Where does it make sense to introduce DevOps? And uh, and how quickly uh, how quickly can that be done, or or how gradually do we need to introduce these concepts? How about how about you, Akshay? I'm sure you've worked with plenty of organizations that you know have introduced this and gone through that process. Yeah, I've I've actually seen broadly uh, two major patterns. The first being where 
the uh, the the organization transformation is driven top down. So it's usually um, you know uh, the, the um, board of directors or whatever governance structure says, look, you know, this is the vision uh, of what we want the company to be. And the, the senior most leadership team says, well, in order to be able to do that, we need to be able to iterate faster. We need to be able to have much more of a focus on pushing out digital products and services. And that change then percolates through the rest of the organization. So very much a top-down thing. The other major pattern that I've seen and experienced is where you might have a small team who, uh, with the help of, uh, of uh, let's just say, a more enlightened manager is given the freedom to start to experiment and innovate and change ways of working, uh, whilst at the same time remaining compliant with the rest of the organization's policies and, and what have you. And they are able to demonstrate uh, uh, improvements in either efficiency, productivity, experience, whatever it might be to the point where the rest of the organization says, okay, so what are these guys doing and what can we learn from that? And how can we start to pick up some of those changes ourselves? So in a way, uh, at that point, there, there are sort of, it's a, it's a branch that, that sort of new ways of working or new principles of working start to diffuse horizontally. So there are other sort of um, teams, engineering teams, operational teams, et cetera, who start to think and work in those ways. Or, it could be that that the um, stories of that change percol percolate upwards, where the middle management or the senior management say, this is interesting, uh, are other organizations doing something like this? Would it benefit us to roll this out a bit wider and, and give it the sort of support and evangelism and, and investment that we need in order to create a larger uh, change? So that's the sort of branch I've seen, but broadly it's, it's two patterns, top down, bottom up. You know, I think some one of the biggest challenges with introducing any kind of fundamental change like uh, Agile or DevOps is sort of crossing that chasm between saying we're doing it and kind of really truly embracing the spirit or the concepts or the culture of it. Have you found that to be also to be true? Well, yes, there's there's a difference. Um, the way the way I reconcile this difference, perhaps, is 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 in the following way. And David probably has a completely different experience from his vantage point. But for me, there are one of the biggest challenges that organizations face, uh, or at least um, let's say practitioners face. Uh, and then I'll come to organization. One of the things that I think practitioners uh, are challenged by is, in a way, thinking that everybody understands things and just gets it. Everyone understands why we have to be agile. Everyone understands what, why DevOps is important. And the truth of the matter is not a lot of people understand that. And even if they do understand the words, they don't necessarily understand the implications to the rest of the organization. So there is a little bit of this need to manage upwards, need to manage outwards, to be able to champion the need for that change, the need for these new ways of working. The other thing which I think organizations and practitioners are challenged by is understanding where these new ways of working will succeed and where they would not succeed. And this is some of the things that we do actually talk about within the sort of idol for library of, of guidance that, you know, digital transformation or these new ways of working are really important. Yes, but in certain contexts, they can be a hindrance rather than a boom. And organizations need to understand where these sorts of things can work. 
Um, if the work that's being done is highly predictable or has very long cycles of, of uh, work and feedback, then perhaps trying to break it down might only go so far. But if you try to over-engineer that uh, a, a, or impose an agile way of working, you might actually end up doing more harm than good, even though you're starting out with good intentions. Um, and, uh, you know, certain things, to put it bluntly, don't care how the work is being done. You know, once you start reaching the level of governance or supplier management or, or whatever it might be, in a way, you know, yes, the CIOs today might say DevOps is really important, Agile is really important, etc. But if you press them about what exactly is being done, uh, look, I just say, uh, based on my conversations with other leaders, I understand this is important, but the exact mechanics of how we're actually going to execute on this, I leave to the team who's actually doing the work. So you've got to understand that, you know, change is difficult. The further up you go in an organization, the harder it is going to be to try to convince somebody about the nitty gritties that need to change. And you've got to be able to understand your audience, understand what they need to hear, understand how to convince them. And that aspect of communication is one of the critical components of change, organizational change management. It's one of the places where I see the failure of organizational change management most commonly occur. Interesting. How about you, David? Share some of your experiences. You know, I think some of the more uh, challenging, but also more interesting, you know, from the from the consultant point of view, um, situations are dealing with some companies that have been around for 80, 100, 150 years. And then, you know, I think folks pretty much around the globe would know some of these companies and they're very mature in some respects. They're, they've built their brand over time. But then when they start to suddenly, you know, some of them suddenly wake up and realize, oh, wait a second, we have gotten out of touch with what our customers really need, our external customers really need and what they want. And there are competitors that we never even dreamed of before that are entering into our space. They suddenly wake up and realize not only do we need new products and new services, but we also need to work in a different way to produce those because customers change their mind a lot. Customers are, are fickle, and I don't mean that in a bad way. We want to understand what our customers need. And then, and then the challenge becomes, okay, well, if, if we haven't been doing this right now, you know, it, it, it's, not, it's necessary but, but not sufficient just to provide training in these areas. You know, training goes so far, that's, that's very useful. But then also, where are we going to have uh, an area where doing something like agile software development really makes sense. You know, I worked with an organization uh, where any of, you know, what are often referred to as uh, systems of record. So these are internal systems that keep the company running. Their software uh, team was actually doing a fairly good job because they worked in a relatively agile way. It wasn't 100% of, of, of what you would describe as agile, but it was, it was pretty darn good. And yet they would often run into roadblocks when they got into the more, you know, for lack of a better term, traditional change management, or as we call these days, change engagement processes, where, you know, they were actually analyzing risk and managing risk all throughout the process because they were doing an agile approach. And yet sometimes they would have this long delay at the end of the process when they got to their, their change uh, control board in that company. On the other hand, that company almost overnight um, experienced some significant financial losses and significant layoffs and they and they very quickly needed to develop some what we call systems of engagement uh, systems and and tools that their third-party paying customers would would use and would purchase 
And in that case, you know, the organization bypassed their internal IT entirely and just went to a third party because the third party really was already doing some version of DevOps in that case for years. So um, then the question becomes, you know, does their existing IT shop still have a reason to be? The answer in that case was yes, but, um, but it becomes very difficult because if you tried to apply that to the entire organization, particularly overnight, I don't think it would have worked very well. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes in those situations, you also see people peel off sort of a skunk work project if it is an internal group, just to, to try to isolate and minimize the, the overall organizational reaction. Some people call them the corporate antibodies <laughs> that tend to kick out and respond to change, you know. That you know it's it's interesting to say that, Mitch, but what I've also seen, though, is that it uh, that is also a very, it, it can also work, but it has to be done very carefully because mm. um, who was it? Which book was it? Uh, I think Jeffrey Moore. I think was it Jeffrey Moore? Yeah, I think Jeffrey Moore wrote an entire book. Uh, wrote an entire book about this phenomenon. Uh, a book called Zone to Win. Mm. Um, and what he was talking in that book, with numerous examples, which I'm sure we've all experienced, is that Skunk Works, that innovation lab, does really well as the innovation lab. Mm-hmm. But the moment the organization says, okay, how do we now scale this new innovative feature, this new innovative product, and industrialize it to the point where we can offer it to our thousands, millions of customers, that's when it falls down. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you're changing the constraints within which a product exists, if you will. It no longer exists as a small experiment measured, on, measured in terms of success as an experiment it's now got to be able to stand up to the measures of being like this industrialized product or service. So if you're moving the yardsticks, is your product capable of actually bridging that, moving across, I don't want to use the word bridging the chasm. Um, is your product actually capable of moving across into that industrialized state? And what we've also seen through some of the research that went into um, ITIL4 uh, as well is a lot of organizations fail to make that bridge between that uh, innovation lab and the industrialized um, operation. I appreciate you sharing that too. It could happen very well to the external right group that gets formed as well. How do you reintegrate that, repatriate it back into the organization? And there's a Harvard professor that famously kind of describes some digital transformation experiments as as kind of like attaching a speedboat to uh, to an aircraft carrier. You know, they move at different speeds and Although the speedboat may go really fast, try to get that to translate into the aircraft carrier. It's probably not going to happen. So it, it becomes, you know, the challenge is, you know, do we do a proof of concept, which sounds like an experiment to me, you know, but if we do that, can we really translate that into, into larger organizational success? And hard to say, you know, to come up with a definitive answer, but for larger organizations, I think that, that what I've seen is that, you know, it's been very difficult for them to do that successfully. Mm-hmm. So they have to find other ways of doing it. Yeah, there's a lot of things you can look at. You can look at sort of historical, what's worked, what's failed in the past. You can look at, I call it flow. What is the momentum of the organization? Are we a metrics? Are we a finance? Are we a, what are decisions driven by? One of the things that can also help with that is also alignment, right? It's why are you introducing agile? Why, are, why, why other than this being an IT fad, 
which it's not just that, but it could be just for that reason. Usually it's not a great reason to introduce it. You've got to have some real true business drivers that like your example, Akshay, of, hey, we've got to respond to these things in market, right? The customer's expectation has changed. That creates a sense of urgency, but also purpose. Like what, what are we trying to do differently and why? And then how do we apply this? There's, there's an additional wrinkle or complication, if you will, for um, uh, publicly listed companies as well where, you know, they've got to report certain metrics. And, you know, if you look at any company's quarterly filings or annual filings, where they, where they talk about the year ahead or the quarter ahead, they, they are using certain types of metrics to communicate their direction and their results to their shareholders, to the market. And, you know, you might say that, look, these measures are, are no longer relevant for what we're trying to do or for where we're trying to go. But then what does that do to the company's confidence in as, as a shareholder? You know, the, the example I cite is when, when the New York Times tried to move uh, to the digital subscription, you can't translate print subscribers into digital subscribers or engagement. How do you measure the success of the digital engagement? Because you're not delivering hard copy newspapers anymore. But the investors were used to seeing those sort of subscriber counts and subscriber churn and all these sorts of things as forward-looking guidance. So there's an additional complication from a, from a governance and a reporting mechanism, especially if you're a publicly listed company. And that's why, that's why people like David have so much fun going into these companies, trying to help them figure out, well, it's not just about changing the ways we're working. How do we, how do we educate our peers? How do we educate our managers? How do we educate our suppliers? How do we educate our consumers? How do we educate our shareholders? There's all these different stakeholders. It's not just about changing the way software development is done. It has mm -hmm. massive ripple effects across the ecosystem. Well, and what's really interesting about, you know, like New York Times is that they were still successful with their print publication, one of the few, when they began their digital transformation. So, so you have a tremendous amount of courage to be able to say as the leader, you know what, this, we're successful now, but this is not going to last. I could, we could see it in the marketplace. So what we actually need to do is intentionally set up a, a parallel operating model and say, we're going to move in this new direction. And that means that that's, in their case, going to siphon away, intentionally siphon away over time the way we do business now. And it's probably going to hurt. In, in the meantime, and we'll use any of the profits from our existing model to move over to this new model. But gosh, if you're an investor, <laughs> you have to be pretty nervous about that unless you're really in it for the long term and you say, you know what, they've, uh, they've seen this and other companies have tried this. How do I know that New York Times is going to be successful when some of their, their peer publications have not been when they try to do this? And yeah. you know, for a variety of factors, it seemed to work for them, but that's pretty that's, daunting. Uh, Kind of that's what I would call the disrupt yourself before you're disrupted model, right? Because usually it's much more painful when you're reacting to someone else who's come in and taken market share or whatever. That's a really good example too of, you know, in the print media going into digital, it's not the same product. It's not the same consumers. It's not the same behavior. The market really has changed, or maybe you're just really going after a different market who would never now buy print, but they would just use that example. So a lot, a lot of it can be driven by those things that we've answered about, or strategy, or understanding of the market, or shifts that are occurring, and tie those reasons as part of why we need to create software faster, 
or why we need to create it in ways that's in smaller increments to be able to respond to really rapid shifts or experiment in market. That's another great reason to do that. Absolutely. Well, talk a little bit about, um, you mentioned the, the speedboat. I can just imagine it tied to the aircraft carrier, you know, kind of sort of like the fly tied to the string, right? Um, yeah, how, how do you start to reintroduce introduce speed into a larger organization that has a lot of momentum around the way they've been doing things that's worked for them, uh, probably very successful? How do you start introducing something like speed to say this is super critical and here's how we have got to operate now. Well, I think it starts with trying to understand what they're what they're primarily trying to do. Are, are they? Do they? Where does speed? Where does having more speed make the most sense? Right. So it could be we're in a we're in a consumer marketplace and the customers are changing their minds a lot and there may and there may be a way to develop something more quickly to respond to that need or, or in the perfect world to actually kind of predict and shape that demand, you know, and, you know, for, for, for the great digital masters. On the other hand, some companies may say, well, maybe we're not in, in a, a strictly business to consumer marketplace, but we need to increase some levels, operational efficiencies in some areas. And so maybe speed is, is more important there. And then, you know, for a few companies out there, uh, it may be both, right? It may be if we increase operational efficiencies on, on the inside of the company, we can also drive uh, the, the outside third-party customer. And that's, that's no, no, easy, no easy way to do that, to figure out where speed is going to be appropriate and where doing things quicker you know, might actually get in the way in some cases. Hmm. Actually, I don't know what your experiences have been there. I, um, I mean, look, there's, there's, there's a lot of great... Uh, organizational change, organizational design literature out there for people who want to, you know, read up more about this sort of thing. Um, you know, um, the SATA change model or Cotter's seven steps or, or whatever else it might be. In my experience, one of the things, one of the first steps I've seen in any successful change is to use Cotter's language, uh, creating a sense of urgency. Uh, you know, uh, I guess this 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 is something I remember from my time living in the U.S. Wasn't there this uh, sort of tagline that the first step to recovery is admitting you have a problem or something along those lines, mm -hmm. right? So it's it's kind of like that. The first step towards creating a change is to acknowledge that you need to change, because once everyone acknowledges that you need to change, you can start to think about well, what sort of change do we want to have? You know, and this has to be a a highly collaborative effort. It's not just your CXOs locking themselves in a uh, in a in a resort a conference room resort uh, at a resort for for, for two days uh, and whiteboarding this out. This has to be a truly collaborative exercise across the entire organization. There may need to be some constraints set in place, and and what I've typically seen is a board of directors might say, look, this is where we want to be five years from now. Not necessarily saying how that needs to be achieved, but saying this is where we want to be. And that in combination with creating that sense of urgency says, look, if we need to hit these, this sort of a target, we need to be able to um, develop software faster or um, close out outages quicker or um, have a more agile um, procurement process or whatever else it might be. And that's when you start to identify the sort of strategic and tactical initiatives. Because you're working collaboratively, 
you're dis you're 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 dispersing that cognitive effort, if you will. So it's not just somebody from one particular vantage point saying, "I I think as a CFO, I think we are you know giving away too much money, so we're going to be cost cutting only." You know, that's a singular perspective. But once you distribute perspective. You can then say, right, if we are supposed to meet this, we have to change here, we have to change there, we have to modify that, and so on. And for me, that uh, that is the essential first two steps. Create that sense of urgency and then distribute the cognition of what needs to change. Create that collaborative series of committees, councils, call it what you will, that will help you identify in different areas what needs to change. And then you start investing to execute on that you know, the series of tactical uh, initiatives or, or, or programs of change. You know, when I first learned about change management, David, maybe you can comment on this. We use the phrase, the burning flat platform. What's the burning platform that we're on that's forcing us to change or really compelling us to make a change? And it can be as little as, you know, as dangerous as are we going to exist, but also could be, here's why a two or three year strategy makes sense Let's, let's not just communicate the strategy. Let's communicate the why. Like, what's changing? What evidence do we have of this? What do we want to get ahead of um, or prevent ourselves from experiencing? Have you seen that as a successful strategy for helping create that burning platform or at least the sense of it? I think so. I mean, I think I think the top level support from the leadership is absolutely critical. But when it comes to defining the problem, getting down to as specific as you possibly can. You know, it's just, it's not just a matter of, you know, we're not getting new products out to customers quickly enough, or it's not just a matter of we're not, um, we're not implementing enough uh, infrastructure changes within a certain period of time. It's a matter of exactly what about that isn't going well, and why would improving that be made better? In some cases, it's obvious. In some cases, for example, um, it's not so obvious. And when people think of Agile and, and DevOps, one of the first things that comes to mind is speed. We're going to get more speed. That's an important part of it. It's not the only reason why you might use some of those techniques. So, you know, if I have to be at the, uh, to, use, to use a simple example, if I need to be at the, uh, at the theater for a show, not these days, but, but if I have to be there at, you know, 7 p.m. and I only live 15 minutes away and I, you know, driving faster won't necessarily improve my results. I get there. I, it still doesn't start until 7 p.m. If I get there at 6 p.m., I guess I get a good parking spot. So speed is just one element. But think about with Agile, you know, doing things in smaller iterations, controlling the risk, um, you know, controlling the scope. You know, all of these are considerations, uh, you know, in addition to just speed. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that I think uh, uh, the ahead, research yeah. shows us, sorry, I didn't mean to. No, no, go right ahead, actually. Uh, I was going to say, one of the other things that our research has shown us um, as we've been working on ITIL 4 and other bits and pieces, even, you know, frameworks like managing successful programs and so on, is uh, organizations need to figure out the right uh, duration of their strategy cycle. Now, if your company is a two-person company, maybe your strategy cycle is measured in days or weeks, all the way up to if you're the government of India and you're ma trying to manage the activity, uh, not manage, but uh, govern one point, how many ever billion people, then your strategy cycle is likely to be about in measured in years, if not decades, well, hopefully not decades. But um, So I think the other aspect that we've seen is at least in, in, um, uh, in 
typical organization strategy cycles have gone from being sort of this thing that happened every five years to maybe things that are happening every three years because you know the world's changing too fast for a five-year cycle to make sense uh we may see a point where three-year cycles are, are deemed insufficient and we need to move to two years or one year cycles uh but that's the other trend that we're also seeing that strategy cycles themselves are reducing mm-hmm I've seen that a lot with uh, managed service providers, you know, you know, for, for some of the managed service providers, you know, even mm-hmm. one year seems to be an awfully long time for some of them, you know, so the, there's this kind of blend between are we talking about strategy or tactics here, but, but I agree, you know, the timeline uh, is, is becoming shorter and shorter, it seems. It certainly has, and of course, our current COVID situation. Many of I've I've seen some resources. I, I know some of the sources of this, but some have said I mean, we've accelerated as much as six years in our digital transformation strategies in the last six months. Probably not everybody has, I imagine. Um, well, this has been great talking with you both. I know you mentioned Akshay Jeffrey Moore's book uh, Zone to Win as a great resource. A- any other resources on introducing agile and DevOps or on change management that you guys can think of might suggest? Well. Uh- I think I'd be very remiss if I didn't actually mention Idle 4, which is the <laughs> product for which I am an ambassador. That was a setup uh, question. <laughs> <laughs> Leading question there. Um, no, so look, uh, th- there are a couple of really good books in Idle 4 which talk about this. Um, two books in particular that I'd like to highlight. The first is High Velocity IT, and the second is Digital IT Strategy. Uh, Digital IT Strategy actually does refer back to some of the content in High Velocity IT. High Velocity IT is more focused on the tactics and operations aspect of introducing these new ways of working and managing the changes and the implications therein to the rest of the organization. Digital IT strategy is more about the tactics and uh, the governance and strategy and the interface to tactics. So it's about how do you determine what's the appropriate business model? How do you create a change in your business model? And from that, create a change in your operating model. From that, figure out where Agile and DevOps make sense and where it doesn't make sense and, and so on. So it's very much the sort of top-down, but the leader's perspective of things, whereas high-velocity IT is the practitioner's perspective of things. So I think those two are definitely really good. Um, I'd also plug a couple of books like um, A Team of Teams, I think is really a, an interesting read uh, about talking about how, especially in an organization like the US Army, which you would typically think is very large, inflexible, and so on, how they were able to create that kind of a change, uh, not necessarily with software development, but around ways of working from uh, across multiple teams, across multiple time zones. Uh, so that's also a, a really good book to, to check out. Yeah, that's I've I've not read that book, um, but I've heard it's good. I think it's by Stanley McChrystal, right, General McChrystal. That's right. Um, great author. So yeah, I think he uses his whole military experience as examples of that. So I've heard I've heard him speak about it. How about you, David? Any suggestions? I, resources. I would, I would just say that you know, as 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 one of the authors of the ITIL Digital and IT Strategy book, I'm going to uh, <laughs> going to put in a plug for that. I'm just a little bit biased, even though it probably took uh, you know several years off of my lifespan to help write that. I'm kidding, uh, but no, that's uh, you know that that's really talking more about the strategy side of things. But you know, I, I recall reading an article years ago as part of one of his uh, you know classic books. Michael Porter talked about IT is not strategic. And, uh, and uh, I, you know, I struggle with that, you know, I agreed kind of at the time and now I don't know. And I think, I think 
if I t if IT is now strategic in this era of digital transformation, it really comes down to things like high velocity IT to DevOps to Agile to some of the techniques that we talk about uh, in the digital and IT strategy book and in HVIT. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I would suggest uh, I would suggest reading that. <laughs> there's, there's probably yeah, a, would, a couple of other plugs to make just before we yeah. wrap up. Sorry, uh, for bet. those who, who want to read a little bit deeper into some of the more cutting edge, I would say, um, uh, thought leaders, uh, read up on Simon Wardley, uh, you know, Wardley mapping and his whole strategy cycle stuff. He publishes that on his blog. Uh, it, there's tons mm. and tons of material on his blog, which I think That's he's trying to yeah. condense into a series of medium articles. Um, but there's also YouTube talks that he does, amazing stuff. Uh, and the second is Dave Snowden and the Kinevin framework. Um, it's getting a lot of attention in the agile space, especially. But it's it's a decision making framework. It's a sense making and a decision making framework, and um, it has applications from um, uh, business strategy to project management and everything in between. And I think that's another uh, at the moment cutting edge, but hopefully soon mass market approach. Well, those are some fantastic resources. Maybe parting thought for all of us is, I don't know if IT is strategic, but I'm pretty sure software is strategic <laughs> these days. That's driving, really fueling our digital transformation. So Absolutely. topic for another another conversation. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, Akshay Anand, who's product ambassador at Axelos, and David Crouch, senior advisor beyond 20. So thank you so much for sharing your experience and your thoughts on this topic. I'm sure it's been really helpful. Thanks for having us. And to the audience, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Blowboy if you care to follow me. And um, I, you know, I'd love to hear some feedback, either through Mitch or directly, however you'd like. I'd love to know what you thought about what we were talking about today. Wonderful. Happy to do that. And I'll pass that along if we do. Uh, David, do you want to share any contact information? Yeah, same here. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. A slightly younger, bow-tied version of myself is on, uh, is on LinkedIn. Feel free to connect with me. Uh, and uh, certainly visit our blog at Beyond 20, where we're always, you know, writing articles, trying to grapple with some of these issues, changing our minds some of the time, but um, but you find a lot of what, uh, what I write there. Excellent. Well, we'll look forward to talking with you both again soon. Take care. Have a great day. Thank you. You've listened to another DevOps Chat podcast. This is Mitch Ashley thanking everyone for joining us today. Be safe. Be careful out there.